to spend some time on YouTube and watching TV and doing a whole lot of stuff where I try to watch some stuff that's educational. And so I like to watch these things called TED Talks, Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And I was watching one and I got misled by the title because it was about the title said something about networks. And so me working in IT before I became a preacher, I thought we were going to be talking about how computers talk to each other. At least that's what I thought was supposed to be the title. But it turned out the, the TED Talk didn't have anything to do with computers. It had everything to do with trees. And in this TED Talk, it talked about how these trees, you would think they have super deep roots. And while the roots do go underground, they don't go as deep as people would think. The reason being is because they have to stay shallow enough so that they can intersect with other trees in the area. And so these trees, when, it, when the uh, TED Talk went on, the, the, the speaker actually broke down how the trees talk to each other. So if one tree has termites eating through it, it's able to send a signal to the rest of the trees and let them know that there's some termites over here. And you might want to strengthen up your defenses so if they start coming your way, you can do something about it. And, and, and not only that, but the trees had the, the ability to differentiate because you'll have a tree that'll drop some seeds and another tree will grow. The mother tree was able to tell which one of the trees in the forest were its children. And so they would share resources. If one was getting enough sunlight and rain and all that stuff, it would share the resources through the roots to its children trees. But it could tell which trees in the bunch weren't its own children so it would not send as much resources to them. So the network was not about computer parts and computers being able to talk to each other. It started off talking about how trees were able to talk to each other and then eventually switched over to how people talk to each other. Uh, they say that the average person is capable of keeping about 150 good relationships. Regardless of how many friends you have on Facebook or followers you have on Instagram or Twitter and how many people look at your snap, how many people you work with, they say even though you may interact with a bunch of different people, they say about 150 is the max where you can have a relationship of substance. That doesn't mean you don't love people outside the 150. But that's about, that's about how many birthdays you can remember. That's about how many anniversaries you can remember. That's about how many people you will call up just to say that you're thinking about them. And they work and they, and they say that it also works like that with family. 
And then when they have this kind of family and these kind of organizations and networks and groups like that, they run into trouble when they try to expand. Why do they run in trouble when they try to expand? Because people do not like change. They say it takes about 40 years of doing something before you start saying that's how it was always done. Once you've been doing it about that long, it'll be really, really hard to change it. I don't know if you all can think of any organizations that will be hard to change because people keep saying this is the way we used to do it. I mean, I can't, I can't think of any of them. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry, just... And so this change is hard, and that is what is going on in the text when Peter is talking to the people in Acts. They are experiencing a change. See, prior to the, the, the text, when you read it, there was only about 120 people that were following Jesus around. And even then, out of the 120 people, he had his 12 that he kept a little closer. And then even out of the 12, he had three that he kept even more closer than that, Peter, James, and John. And I'm not saying to shun people off, but sometimes we have to think about that. Who's in our 120? Who's in our 12? Who's in our three? Because everything that we go through ought not be shared with everybody. And so we have this going on, and right before the, the reading, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the day of Pentecost, and they all come together in one place. They are all on one accord, and there's an outpouring of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is like fire to them. Have you ever been touched by fire? Have you ever tried to put your hand on the stove when it's too hot? I almost did that this morning, grabbing some rolls out the oven, but I remembered to keep the, 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 the protective towel on my hands, not to burn myself and drop my children's breakfast. Uh, when, you, when you get touched by fire, fire will make you do things you wouldn't normally do. When you get touched by fire, you will move a lot faster than you normally would move. When you get touched by fire, you will say some things you would not have normally said. Amen. Fire makes you move. Fire makes you get a sense of urgency. Fire makes you do things you wouldn't normally do and say things you wouldn't normally say. And so here you have this group of people who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are about to start doing some things they would not normally do. They are about to start saying some things they may not normally say. See, prior to the text, these people were cheerleaders. Go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. Go. Heal the sick, go Jesus. Raise the dead, go Jesus. Open up blinded eyes, go Jesus. But now there is some change. Now there is some transition. Jesus has gone on back. He's ascended back into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now it's time for the disciples to get to doing some work. Now it's time for the disciples to roll up their sleeves and put some skin in the game. They are no longer cheerleaders. They are no longer spectators. They are on the field. Uh, this, 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 the, this being a believer is about being as action. What are they doing? And so there's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the people think that they are drunk. Uh, but Peter says that these people are not drunk. 
These people are not drunk, but they have been touched by the Holy Spirit. And he takes a text, old Peter, he takes a text like a preacher would and talks about it. And first he starts off in Job talking about in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even the servants, both men and women, I will pour out the Holy Spirit on them. He's talking about Joel. Then he slides on down to about uh, uh, Psalm 118 and talks about, Therefore my, uh, my heart is glad and rejoices and, and my body will rest in hope because you will not abandon them. Or nor will you leave them, the Holy One, see decay, and you will make known the paths of life. And I will feel your, your joy in your presence. Right around verse 28, he's taken, uh, that's Psalm 116, I'm sorry. He, and he goes on, and had he kept on going, he'd have said, this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in his eyes. And, and he talked about the stone that the builders rejected being the chief cornerstone. He's out there to tell them that these people are not drunk. They have just been affected by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he's taking a text and he's taking this text. And, 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 and a lot of people would think that when Peter is taking this text that he's out here carefully crafting a sermon to evoke emotion out of the people. No, he's responding to them. Ah, because these new believers have become, these people are, are believers of Christ and they are being mocked. They are being mocked. They are being made fun of. That's why they said they were drunk. That's why they were acting about it. They were either questioning the person's personality or their, 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 their standing uh, or, or their theology. And so he lets them know that they are not mocked. And then he says, therefore, let Israel be assured of this, that uh, uh, this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when you read Acts all the time, I like Peter because Peter says it often. He'll say either Jesus Christ whom you crucified or either Jesus Christ whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. Every time he gets an opportunity to talk, and that's what we ought to be doing every time we get an opportunity to talk about it, is talk about this Jesus Christ whom was crucified and God raised from the dead because that is what we hang our hat up on. It's because of that work on the cross that we have access to heaven. It's because of that work on the cross that we don't have to worry about death, hell, and the grave. And so he says it. And when he says it, it cuts to the people's hearts. Uh, they are convicted. Let the church say convicted. Uh, the word sometimes will do that. Uh, but not just the word, life in general. Life in general gives us ups and downs. Uh, I don't know anybody who's had an easy life from birth to death. I don't know anybody who ain't never had to go through no trouble. I ain't know anybody that ain't never had sometimes more a month than money. I don't know anybody that's never had a friend turn their back on them. I don't know anybody that's never gotten into any kind of beef with their family. I don't know anybody like that. Sometimes there's trouble we are going to have to go through. But I've learned this in my life. This short time that I've been here, the, the, the strength comes in the recovery. Uh, I've been spending some time getting tortured, I mean trained, by a professional trainer. And one thing that I've learned about these torture sessions, that is that the, the, the improvement is not in the workout. 
Uh, see, when they put me on the bench press and I push that weight up and down until it hurts and then he says, push it some more. Or when I have these dumbbells in my hand and it curls and he says, curl until you can't curl no more and curl some more. Then we're going to do some push-ups. That's hurting my muscles. That is tearing literally my muscles. When he puts that treadmill on 1,000 miles an hour and then says run and then goes inside of his house to get him a drink of water while I'm still on the treadmill, comes back out, peeks his head out and then goes back again. When he does that, that hurts my lungs, that stretches my lungs out. But the thing is, is what happens is after the trauma, after the workout. Your body sits down and says, hey, I may need to do this again. So I'm going to send some blood cells to that muscle that got torn to strengthen it better. I'm going to send some cells to the lungs so that they can expand better so that next time you have to run like that, it won't hurt as much. The, the improvement is not in the trial. The improvement in your life is in the recovery of the trial. So while you go through the trial the first time, it might cut you to the core. But when you go through the trial again, you'll know that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. When you go through that trouble for the first time, it may hurt you a lot, but then you'll know that I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. You might go through the trouble on the first time, but when you get into the recovery, you'll know that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. And so when they cut to the core, the hurt, the pain is there, but the recovery is where they improve. Amen. Amen. And Peter's response to it after they've been cut to the heart, as he says, to repent. Uh, he gives them, we have conviction. And the response to the conviction is a command. Let the church say command. command. Uh, the command is to repent and be baptized. All of you. Repent and be baptized. All of you. Repent and be baptized. All of you. Peter is out here preaching to people who are people of God. They are Hebrew people who have just have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Messiah. These are not the people that you would think. These are church folk. Let me just bring it down there. These are church folk here talking to. These are church folk making fun of other church folk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. These are church folk that don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. These are church folk that have been cut to their core and they had to ask, what are we supposed to be do, doing? And so he says, repent and be baptized, all of you. There are a lot of things, if I could be transparent, that I, I struggle with being a Methodist. Just we, we family, I can, I, I, I can tell you. But there is one thing that I greatly appreciate about being Methodist, that we believe that God's grace is for all. People get hung up on whether or not we baptize in babies, but God's grace is for all. It's out there for you. It's yours to accept or reject, but there is no secret list. There is no restricted list. Repent and be baptized, all of you. If you want it, you can have it. You just have to repent. 
And I, I, I don't struggle with the baptism part because I understand that when the water is pouring, even though the pastor is pouring the water or the pastor is dipping the person in the water, that's all good. And, and, and even though the person has decided to do it or maybe they're just a baby that's been born and the parents have decided to do it, that's all good. But I understand when it says repent and be baptized, all of you. Uh, everybody is able to get it and when it's done, even though you may have made the decision or your parents may have made the decision and even though the nice pastor is putting this water on you or putting you in the water, neither one of us are doing the work. That is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. And it don't need to be done again. There are plenty of times we like to say God don't make no mistakes. And a lot of times we say that at the wrong time. But in a baptism, I I stand before you to tell you that God don't make no mistakes. So he says, repent and be baptized, all of you. Uh, That baptism is for all of you. And that repent is for all of you. Uh, That repent is a psychological term. It's not just asking or saying, God, I'm sorry. It's not just saying, oops, my bad, I made a mistake. It's not saying that. When you truly repent of something, you change the way you think about it. So he's telling these people not only to be baptized, but he's telling them to change the way they think about it. Uh, If I truly repent, I don't think the same thing about it. And and there's only one way to do that, and that's with the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. The only way that desire is going to go away from you, the only way that thing that you are you can't get enough of is going to go away from you is with the help of the Holy Spirit. But if you still like it, if you still want it, you may not have actually repented. And he says, repent and be baptized, all of you. And the repent is plural. All of you. The baptismal is all of you. And when you do that, you get a gift of, you get two gifts. One gift is salvation. Uh, Forgiveness of sin. That block that that's in between you and heaven has been removed. Uh, And and, 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 and the the forgiveness, and not only do you get the, the, the forgiveness of sin, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The forgiveness of sin gains or regains entrance into God's community. And the spirit generates a genuine sense of community. Uh, The spirit ties everybody together. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, that corporate body that is moving through all of us brings us all together. Uh, And and so we get this, this forgiveness of sins, we get this pardon. And when we get the, 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 the Holy Spirit moving towards all of us, we get the community. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Clark Soul said all the time when I was taking New Testament the entire year, you cannot be a Christian outside of community. It, it, it's nice to sit at home and read your Bible. That's great. It's nice to sit at home and watch TV. And watch these, the, the preachers on TV. I ain't got a problem with TV preachers at all. I worked in media production, so I don't, I don't say that TV pastors are a bad thing. But it's nice, to, it's, it's nice to sit at home, but the Bible says to fail not to assemble thyselves. Uh, the Bible also says, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
how can you be in unity if you don't ever hang around other Christians? And so we have this command, repent and be baptized, and they get from, we go from a, the conviction to the command to a challenge. Let the church say challenge. Peter urges in verse 40 with the words, he pleads with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He pleads with them to join Jesus, accept Jesus Christ as their savior. In this sin-sick world, the only salvation for your soul is the savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, he's urging them, he's giving them this challenge to accept Jesus Christ. No longer do we need to have to worry about these things if we accept Jesus Christ. That don't mean that your life is going to be peaches and cream. That don't mean that everything's going to pass away. Everything's going to move away and you're just going to have all kind of money in your back, bank account. And it's going to be, oh, go Jesus, go Jesus, every smile all day. That ain't what it says, but it will help you in the end. Amen. And not only will it help you in the end, you're supposed to be able to take that help and help your fellow man. Uh, so he gets this, this challenge, and because we have this challenge, we move from, we have the conviction, Peter convicted the people, and we had the command that he gave them to repent and be baptized, and he challenged them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we move from the challenge to conversion. Because he did this, over 3,000 people joined that day. So we have grown from 120 people who were isolated, and really out of that, you got the 120, then you had the 70, then you had the 12, then you had the 3. We've gone from that to 3,000. They are baptized, and, and there is growth. And I thank God for growth. Because they very well could have kept it during that time amongst the 120. They very well could have kept it enclosed in, but they did not. And, and I, I didn't talk about it on Easter Sunday and, or, or, or subsequently after that, but I appreciate a Thomas. Uh, we call Thomas a doubter because the Bible says that Thomas doubted and he didn't want to believe until he could put his own hand in the womb. Thomas wanted to get it for himself. I understand wanting to get it for yourself as, as praying and dancing and shouting and going to church as my mama is. My mama can't get me into heaven. As many times as my grandmama has spent on her knees praying about me, she can't get me to heaven. I got to get it for myself. It's good to grow up in a good community, but if the reason you grow up in that good community is so that you can get it for yourself. And Thomas got it for himself, and while the rest of the apostles stayed around in the other area, Thomas actually went out uh, outside of the area in the biblical story and started starting churches elsewhere, and he was the only one that did it. So I, I don't mind a doubt in Thomas, and so when I look at these growth, uh, uh, I, I, when I look at this church, this, the church as a whole going from 120 to 3,000, I'm happy about that. Because if they didn't, I may not have gotten word about it. And so they did that, and, and, and they did that, and then they lived in community, helping one another, dealing with one of the, uh, another's needs. That's why James said the true religion before God is this, to take care of the widows and the orphans. Because during that time, if you were not a man, 
you couldn't really earn that much money. And so when they talk about taking care of widows and orphans, that was the church being networked together. So those who were unable to take care of themselves, those who were in need, had somebody that could reach out to them or they could reach out to that somebody and get some assistance. And so we have this conversion, we have this growth, we have these people getting together. The church has a prime responsibility to help us in our life of faith. Uh, we, as individual Christians, always have a prime responsibility to help the church. And this is the place where, where the church is where we should be doing the things that Peter said we should be doing, repenting, being baptized, and seeking the Holy Spirit. And the church should ensure that the practice of the early converts, what they were doing was worshiping and fellowshipping and caring with one another and having common goals and mission and ministry and active prayer life with each other. All of those things should be happening at the church. And they should be carried out. And they should be carried out to the point that it doesn't matter who's where. If the building shuts down. We should all be enough into this that we can do this anywhere and move on to the next building, not just by ourselves, but in the community. They always say that the, 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 the litmus test for a church is if it closes down, would the community have missed it? And so that way, somewhere down the road, if it's not expected, if something happens, None of us would disappear without a trace. We'd be able to continue on doing God's work with each other. I recall one of the Pharisees asking in Matthew, uh, they asked uh, Jesus a question. They asked him which one of the laws is the greatest. And he said uh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And a second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So what we ought to be doing after we have repented and been baptized, all of us, is loving God and loving people and working in community with each other, working in a network, being able to distribute with each other to help each other in the faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.